since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore to himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently endured, obtained the promise. Men indeed swear by a greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he interposed with an oath so that through two changeable things in which it is impossible that God should prove false, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner shrine behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. Peace be to you, the reader. command you come out of him and never enter him again 
And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that many of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer and fasting. They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he would not have anyone know it, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man will be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and when he is killed, after three days he Son and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. This gospel passage, as a parent, is terrifying, if you think about it. I mean, think about just uh, for those of you who are, uh, well, have been parents but are currently parents, think about when your child has a temperature above 100, or when they have a stomach virus, or or something uh, else that's going on with them physically that gives us this incredible sense of uh, helplessness where we can't, we, we don't feel like we can do anything and we can get into this sort of panic and we have great concern over their health and of course we want them to be better but could you imagine as a parent if you were witnessing your child convulsing and foaming at the mouth and grinding their teeth and he replied that this has been going on since his son was a child they don't give us an age but they definitely let us know that this has been going on for some time but can you just imagine what it was like for that father they don't even speak about the mother we don't we don't know about her in the picture of the story but just think for a moment what that would be like the first time you saw your child do that now today we have modern medicine and we have all sorts of technology and things we can go to to try to figure out what the issue is but back then they didn't have this and so this man uh, heard about this uh, Jesus of Nazareth and so he took the opportunity to approach him with his son one of the things that's interesting about this particular passage too is that you notice that he went to his disciples first and so what we know about that scenario is that the disciples were all gathered together and Jesus wasn't with them And not only was Jesus not with them, but Peter, James, and John were also not with the disciples. So if you look at the gospel passage in the Bible just before these verses, what do you think the story is? It's of the transfiguration. Jesus was a little bit busy. And his three disciples who he chose to go with him were also busy at that time. I often wondered, what if it happened that... Uh, Jesus was still not present, but the transfiguration still took place, and Peter, James, and John were there. Would they have been able to do something in light of, no pun intended, the transfiguration which they just witnessed and were so moved by when Jesus revealed his, his divinity to them? 
But we'll never know, right? So the story continues. This man comes to the disciples who were there, and they're not able to help him. And of course, this is very frustrating because this could have been the man's last hope when it came to his own son. It's interesting, the blessed Theophilot brings up this point uh, regarding the man's lack of faith. And he makes these comparisons. He says, Not finding Christ, the sorrowing father had brought his son to Christ's disciples, but they were unable to help him. They were not able to do this, firstly, because of their own lack of faith, but secondly, because of the father's lack of faith. And then he goes on to point out different uh, times in Scripture where we read of people who came to Christ with an issue who did have faith. He says, The Father does not speak as the leper did. Lord, if thou wilt, you can make me clean. Neither does he speak like Jairus, who when he called on Christ to raise his daughter, he said, Just come and lay your hand on her and she'll live. Still less does he speak like the centurion, who said, Speak the word only and my servant will be healed. You don't even need to go to him physically. But the greatest faith says nothing, but only draws near to Christ and grasps hold of the hem of his garment as the woman did with the issue of blood. The Father does not act or speak like these, but says to Christ, If you can, help us. If you're able, if you think you can do this, help us. And what was Jesus' reply? Well, if you have faith, guess what? It will happen. So he immediately puts it on to Jesus, like, if you can do this, this would be wonderful. He doesn't come with faith, he comes with skepticism. Now I want you to think as you're hearing this about your own life. And all the things that you may struggle with in life, whether it's health or family or work or whatever it may be, and think about where your faith level is in the midst of those things. Jesus answered, O faithless and perverse generation, how long must I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Ouch. You can almost hear the frustration He has performed miracles. He has spoken openly. He has spoken in such ways that people have been moved. Uh, Pharisees and scribes have been confounded. He has proven himself, literally, over and over and over again. And people are still doubting whether or not he can do any sort of miracle or any great thing. And so he says, O faithless and perverse generation, how long must I be how much must how much how long must I endure this faithlessness? What do I need to do to prove to you that I am who I say I am? Have I not shown you? Now remember you're thinking your 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 this dual process is going on. How many times has God blessed you and taken care of you and has answered your prayers, some of them, and has been there for you? And yet, where is your level of faith currently with whatever it is that you're struggling with? He says a faithless generation because of this, but he also adds the word perverse. And the reason is is that faithlessness is a product or a consequence of perversion or corruption or sin. So every time we sin, we miss the mark. Every time we, we fall away from God, we separate ourselves from faithfulness. Our faith diminishes when we sin. When we have faith, we feel emboldened and we feel strengthened. 
But he adds this because he wants us to know that when we sin, we are the cause at that moment of the reduction of our own faithfulness. But even so, thanks be to God, he doesn't withhold his mercy and compassion and healing from us. So unbelief is a consequence and corruption is the cause. Now what I want to do is give you a heavy dose of St. Paisios. We can always use a heavy dose of St. Paisios, right? Sometimes I wish I had an IV of St. Paisios and all of his teachings is right here in my arm. Straight to the brain, down to the heart. This man says, I believe, but help my unbelief. So he acknowledges that he has a portion, and I think all of us would, would acknowledge that we have a portion, we have a measure of faith, but boy, could we use a ton more, right? We would love to have way more faith than we actually have. So, St. Paisius says there are a couple of things, more than a couple of things, but I'm just going to highlight two, and in Theology 101 we can talk a little bit more about it. The question once was asked him, how do you strengthen your faith? How do you increase your faith? And his reply is, faith is strengthened through prayer. Someone who didn't cultivate and strengthen his faith from a young age, but who has a good disposition, can cultivate his faith through prayer, asking Christ to increase his faith. Now two things about that statement are really interesting. One, it says, someone who didn't cultivate and strengthen his faith from a young age, which could be for the reason, let me say, there weren't faithful parents. And so growing up as a child, we didn't really have uh, a lot of faith, or maybe we had childlike faith, but we weren't cultivating it at a young age. He says, that's okay. Even if it wasn't cultivated in you, or you weren't cultivating yourself as a young child, you can ask Christ through prayer to simply increase your faith. And you've heard me say a thousand times that, uh, quoting the passage, you don't receive because you don't ask. People, we have got to get a lot better at asking for these very things that are so, so important to our spiritual life and our life in Christ. And one of them is increasing our faith. That should be a daily petition and maybe a petition that we say multiple times throughout the day. It's not very hard. God grant me faith. God grant me faith. It doesn't sound any different. How often do we say it though? Throughout the day. And God will give us what we desire from our heart. He says, we can ask Christ to add to our faith and to increase its strength. What did the apostles say to the Lord? Didn't they say, increase our faith? When you say increase, you are entrusting yourself to God. For if one does not entrust himself to God, what is God to increase in him or her? We ask God to increase our faith, not so that we can do miracles. We ask God to increase our faith so that we can love God all the more. And there is the absolute purest reason for more faith. Not simply to get through a difficult situation in life, but that we may draw closer to God and love God even more. And that is something we should ask for. Lord, grant me more love that I may love you more. Grant me more love so that I may love those people around me. We go to the source of these things and we ask Him. One elder on the Holy Mountain says we have to bug God. Remember the, the whole thing like tugging on His, you know, God, God, God. Can I have more faith? Can I have more love? Can I have more anything it is that we're asking for in terms of our life in Christ and the adornment of our heart with the virtues we have to ask our Lord. The second thing 
that St. Paisius says in terms of how to increase and strengthen our faith is through Philotimo. How many of you were here for the marriage retreat last week? Okay, a little less than half. Philotimo was a, a word that I um, expanded on, quoting St. Paisius of the, of the Holy Mountain, who uses it often in his, in his writings. Philotimo is probably most easily described as this grateful indebtedness, something you feel in the depth of your heart because you have realized what you have received, and out of that indebtedness and that love, you want to give back fourfold. It's a burning in the heart, having a grateful heart, that you are, you are compelled to give back to, to, to others. King David, of course, who we know was forgiven, and as we read in Psalm 50, through his own repentance, he says, Your mercy, O Lord, shall follow me all the days of my life. Your mercy, O Lord, should fo- shall follow me all the days of my life. This is a very, very important phrase for us to remember. This is a very comforting phrase. It helps us in times when we lack faith. Lord, your comfort will be with me always. You shall follow me all the days of my life. You will go before me all the days of my life. If we repeat this over and over, we will begin to believe it with all of our heart. And we will walk in that faith because we will believe that God truly is with us at all times. Philotimo, though, this grateful indebtedness, increases our faith because the more time we spend recognizing how often and in what ways God has blessed us, and how He has tended to us, and how He has directed us, and how He has helped us in life. The more we spend time thinking about those and coming up with all of those examples, because we all have numerous examples of that, the greater our faith becomes as a result. It's impossible to think of all those things and not have an increase in faith. Because we're proving to ourselves that God is with us. He is always with us. And we prove it to ourselves by seeing all the times that He is there. We oftentimes think from a very deficit perspective. We think of what we don't have, what hasn't happened, what's gone wrong, what's going wrong. It's very negative, and this diminishes faith. So this is a very intentional exercise, Philotimo. He says, when one acknowledges the love of God, then God bombards him with love. When we acknowledge the love of God for us, when I take the time to acknowledge the love of God that He has for me, then God bombards me with His love, and you too. The word bombards may seem strange to you, he says, but it takes divine bombs made out of the love of God to break through the scales or the granite encasing the heart. That's pretty incredible. Once its casing is shattered, the heart becomes sensitive and a person is moved even by the smallest blessing of God. Once this happens, you will begin to see the smallest things in your life. They will go... They will, never, they will not go unnoticed, but you will see the smallest things as great blessings. But until we're there, many blessings pass our eyes and we don't even recognize them, let alone acknowledge them. One feels completely indebted to God and is deeply moved at all times because while he is thinking of ways to pay off his debt, God is showering him with more and more blessings until his filotimo-filled heart has been melted by the love of God. 
And then this beautiful question comes, and I brought this up in other homilies, but I, I, I'm kind of sneaking it in there because I love when I read something. I know that all things that I speak that are truthful all come from God. Anything I say that moves you, it comes directly from God. I'm just a donkey's mouth when I, when I give it to you. But this is, this is very powerful because now it's coming straight from uh, St. Paisius' mouth. He says, uh, Although one may be struggling, doesn't it displease God if he constantly falls into the same sins? How many of us have asked that question? Doesn't it displease God when I fall into the same sins over and over and over? Doesn't it disappoint Him? And then St. Paisius replies, Is God expecting any progress from us in the first place? No. He says no. What do you do with that? We talk about this all the time. Isn't it about progress? Isn't it about change? Isn't it something that's supposed to be noticed and perceived? He says, Is God expecting any progress from us in the first place? No, He's not. But we are his children, and he loves all of us the same. One of the children of a father I once saw was mentally handicapped. And although he kept wiping his runny nose with his sleeves, his father hugged him, kissed him, and caressed him just as much as his other children. God does the same thing. Being the good father he is, God not only loves his accomplished children... But he also loves those who are spiritually weak, from whom he is all the more pained and concerned. That's a really, really important part for us to understand that. It's, we, we have to be less concerned about making progress in the spiritual life by sinning less. And we have to be way more concerned about our hearts being filled more and more with love for God. If we focus on that, if we pray for that, the other one's going to take care of itself. I guarantee it. If my focus is to love God more, and I know that I can only do that by asking Him to fill me with more love so I can love Him more, then I know I'm going to sin less. But if I'm so worried about, oh, I did this again, oh, I did this again, oh, I can't stop, oh, I don't know, oh, oh. And I've worked myself up into this anxious tizzy, there's no way I'm cultivating the love of God. This is what St. Paisius is saying here. We're focusing on the wrong thing. Even St. Porfirio says not to focus on the, the progress we're lacking or the sins that we're committing. He says focus on cultivating the love of God in your heart. No one can grasp how much God loves man. His love is incomprehensible. It's boundless. His love is so vast and so powerful that our earth and heart cannot withstand even the slightest bit we may feel of it. His love dissolves the heart because the heart is made of earth. Now let me Just let me conclude with a, uh, another quote here from St. Paisios. Are you getting the picture? Is it making sense? It's a great thing to put oneself into God's hands. People set goals and try to achieve them without listening carefully to the will of God and without trying to conform to it. We must entrust ourselves to God and allow Him to direct our life while we do our duty with philotimo. Did you catch that? We must entrust ourselves to God and allow Him to direct our life 
while we are doing our duty with philotimo. We accomplish this as we cultivate grateful indebtedness, as we think about all the ways God blesses us. As we cultivate that grateful heart and increase the love in our heart, then we are doing the will of God. If a person does not entrust himself to God so as to abandon himself entirely into God's hands, he will be tormented. You ever feel tormented? Regarding this stuff, I feel it, I've felt it many, many times. People usually first turn to human consolation, and when disappointed by them, then they take refuge in God. But if we want to avoid being tormented, this is like a psychological torment. You know, this is the anxiety, the depression, uh, and other things that we feel uh, through our thoughts. But it really, it really affects our entire being. If we want to avoid being tormented, we must first seek divine consolation, which is, after all, the only true consolation. It is not enough merely to have faith in God. One must also have an absolute trust in God. Trust in God attracts God's help. And the Christian believes and entrusts himself to God unto death. And then he can see clearly the hand of God guiding and saving him. For man can make of this life a life of paradise if he trusts God, praises him for everything, and accepts him as a loving father guiding his life. Our life doesn't have to be a living hell. Our life doesn't have to be a life of misery. Our life, here even, can be a taste of paradise. For a man can make of his life a life of paradise if he trusts God, praises Him for everything, and accepts Him as a loving Father. Accepts Him as a loving Father, guiding his life. Trusting that God is guiding his life. Otherwise, we can make our life hell. It's a wonderful thing for man to be able to experience from this life a measure of the joy of paradise. So I I leave you with the thought, and I go back and to summarize just this one point. We should not be focusing on the sins we keep committing over and over, the lack of progress, how that makes us feel, and all of that stuff. That is a waste of time, a complete waste of time, and it completely is counterproductive to what you're trying to accomplish. If we focus on increasing our love for God through asking Him and through being cognizant of all the ways He's blessed us, which cultivates that love and gratitude, our hearts will become large and it'll push out all of this other stuff we want pushed out. But we don't have to rack our brains over how we're not doing it. We focus on this and it takes care of that. That's, that's the message today. That's the message. We enlarge our heart with the love of God. And all of these things that we concern ourselves, whether the sins we keep committing over and over and we're upset about that, or whatever it is in life that we're dealing with currently in family and work or whatever, all of that will be pushed out because our faith will be increased. Amen.